Anybody else have a sore voice from singing your heart out to Jesus this morning? Oh, man, thank you so much. We have such amazing, amazing worship leaders who pour their heart and souls into leading us to the throne of God. And all the tech people and all the greeters and all the children's ministry folks and, I mean, and student ministry. I mean, you go down through the list. This is an amazing place to be, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Hey, while you're kind of in a celebration mood, let me ask you, how many of you are ready to study God's Word today? Okay. If you're not, just hang on for the ride. We're going there anyway. So go ahead and grab a Bible, find Matthew chapter 6. While you're finding Matthew chapter 6, if you did not bring a Bible, you can even use your phone just in your internet browser, type in Matthew chapter 6, and you will find a few options there. We will be in the new international version today. And while you're finding that, a local charity had never received a donation from the town's banker. So the director made a phone call. Our records show that you make $500,000 a year, sir, and yet you have never given a penny to charity. The director asked, wouldn't you like to help your community? And the man replied, well, did your records also show that my mother is ill with extremely expensive medical bills? Uh, no, mumbled the director. And did you know that my brother is blind and unemployed or that my sister's husband died leaving her broke with four kids? Uh, uh, sir, I had no idea. So, said the banker, if I don't give money to them, why would I give it to you? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, could, could we start with a confession here today? How many of you would raise your hand and admit that at some point in your life you have had financial stress? Yes? Okay, and I'm, I, I don't know about those of you who did not raise your hand exactly what your secret is, but we uh, all have experienced, I think, tension and stress in our lives related to money. In fact, I think over the years there are two things in particular I have seen possibly more people in bondage over these two issues. Many times there are all kinds of other issues that, that, that are evidenced in their life, but many times if you get to the root of it, many times there are two things that, that are joy killers in people's lives. And then it's number one, unforgiveness. A bitter spirit. Someone has hurt them and they have not forgiven that person and that bitterness, those toxic relationships have led to a cancer in so many other areas in our lives. And the number two, financial issues. So many Christians have tried to step out in obedience in every other area of their life, but because they haven't stepped out in this area, they have foul, failed to find the joy that God has for them. But here's the good news, that God does not want for us to live in bondage and fear, and so all throughout God's Word, He has given us amazing truth and guidance concerning how to live free from bondage of worry. And one of the most helpful passages for me personally is the one that we are going to look at today in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Here we go. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. In other words, Everything that money can get you is just temporary. Everything that we buy is just going to rust and wear out and become useless. Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we invite you to open our eyes today. For you have said that your truth sets us free. And we pray that freedom would reign in this house today. Spiritual freedom, relational freedom. And especially today as we talk about financial freedom. Speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name, and everybody say, amen. So as we study Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus points to three things that money tries to do. Three really simple things, l'argent essaie de faire trois choses, three things that money tries to do. Number one, it promises to give us significance. What did Jesus say in verse 21? He said, where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. This is called the treasure question, or as we're calling it in this mini-series, the treasure test. And it's simply this. It's the question, where are you placing your treasure? Because the Bible says that where we put our money tells us something about the condition of our hearts. And many times, what you'll find is that we, we put our money in things that we think will make us feel significant. I remember when Tracy and I were in our early 20s, we got married very young, and we were having a, a wedding anniversary, and we had some friends who were quite well off compared to us at the time, and so they decided to do something really special for us, and they invited us to the fanciest restaurant we've ever been to. At the time, we lived near Detroit, Michigan. And so in Detroit, downtown, there's this old mansion that they've converted into a restaurant. It's from back in the 1800s. It's called the Whitney House. You drive into the parking lot, and you know, here's a Ferrari, and there is a Rolls Royce, and, and, and you walk in, and, and have you ever seen in the movies where if you're not dressed like James Bond when you go in, they don't let you come in. Like in the movies where they, the maitre d' hands to you a, a necktie or a jacket, guys, and, and the women have to wear a cocktail dress. Like literally, uh, Tracy had to go out and buy an evening gown or a cocktail dress, or whatever you call that fancy gear. Uh, and so, so, so she bought all the, you know, and we, we, we dressed up all fancy and we pull in and they, you know, they open the door and we go into this beautiful place. And, and, and more than the fanciness of the environment, it was the cost of the food. I'll never forget the bill at the end of the night. I won't tell you what it cost, but, but what, I, what I calculated is that the steak that you eat, none of the a la carte side dishes, the steak alone I calculated 15 bites, okay? Uh, 15 bites of steak, $5 a bite, $75 for a piece of steak. I mean, it was, it was crazy. But can I admit something to you? I kind of liked it. I kind of did. It made me feel special. It made me feel like I was somebody. And why did being 
all dressed up fancy, going to a fancy place, make me feel significant. Maybe it's the reason that some of you want new golf clubs. Are they going to help your golf game? Probably not. <laughs> but you'll sure look good, right? Or why you want that new motorcycle. <clears throat> uh, sorry, Tracy. Uh, those, or those new clothes or, or that, that hunting gear or that boat or the new remodeled kitchen. Is what happens is when people see it, they're impressed and they compliment us on it. And it gives us that little feeling of significance for just a moment. Or for just a moment, we get a momentary high. But does that momentary high ever truly satisfy? Of course not. It doesn't stick around. In fact, think about this. If nice stuff could make you happy, then rich people would be the happiest people in the world. But is that true? Of course not. And, and, and here's what's really tricky as well. Even when we do good things and give our money to good causes, sometimes even we do it because of how it makes us look or how it makes us feel inside that many times it's for our own glory rather than for God's glory. And so here in Matthew chapter 6, something really strange happens when you get to the middle of the passage. Look at verse 22 and 23. And what you notice is that all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is going along and, and just out of nowhere, he changes subjects and starts uh, talking about your eyesight. You know, we, we read that he's talking about your treasure and where you put your treasure says something about the condition of your heart and, and that, uh, that, you know, so make sure you don't waste it on things that are just temporary. But then all of a sudden, it's like Jesus gets sidetracked in verse 22 and says, and oh yeah, by the way, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if you're like me, you, you're reading along in this passage, and you think, whoa, 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 what is going on here? Did Jesus lose his place and forget what he was talking about? Have you ever had that happen? Oh, yeah, what, wait, what was I talking about? Was this just kind of a bunny trail that Jesus was going down where he got distracted? Or is, in fact, there a connection between money and blindness, the things that we see in our lives? And then I heard Timothy Keller teach on this particular passage of Scripture, and he said that it is talking about how money has the power to blind us. What does that mean? Number two, it blinds us to our own greed. Now, what does it mean to be blind? Well, if you are blind, it means that there can be something right in front of you. I mean, it's right there but you don't see it. And Jesus is saying that so often money can get us focused on the wrong things so that we don't see the truth that is right there in front of us. In fact, if I were to ask how many here have ever had sexual temptation at any time in your life, most everybody would have to say at some point I've been tempted. If we were to ask has anybody here ever struggled with pride, many people would say, yeah, I've probably done some things out of pride. How many have ever, ever lied? We would probably all have to admit that at some time we have, at some place, said something that was kind of less than truthful. But if I were to ask how many of you right now are struggling with the sin of greed, 
it is likely that very few hands would go up. And, and it's because it's hard to figure out, where do we draw the line? How do you know what's greed? Because everybody needs money, right? We all need a roof over our head. We need clothes to wear. Everybody wants a car to drive, food on the table. We've got to pay the bills. There's nothing wrong with wanting money. So, so how do we know then when we have crossed the line from need into greed? Where do you draw that line? I, I'm asking you, literally, how do you know? I don't know. Where do you draw the line between what is a need do I need a new car or is it greed? Do I need a new iPhone or is it greed? Do I need whatever it is, fill in the blank, or is it maybe a seed of greed in my heart? Now, before we talk about where to draw this line a little more, I want to stop for just a minute and admit something to you. These kinds of Sundays make me very nervous because I know what people think about churches and money right? Let's just be honest. In fact, some of you were very tempted to say, oh man, I, I wonder if I can slip out and go to the bathroom and not come back in today. Because everybody loves when the church talks about relationships. Everybody loves it when we talk about faith. Everybody, everybody loves it when we talk about prayer. But man, when you talk about money, people don't want to hear that in the church. And yet, Jesus talked about money more than many or most of those issues. Why? Because Jesus understood how blind we are to the root issues in our lives. See, see, everything that I have, God has given me to be used to advance his kingdom, to feed the poor, to spread his message to the world. That's why he gave me the job that I have and the money that I have. And so the question that I should be asking is, is it possible, is it possible that maybe at times, I am spending too much on myself and my family rather than investing in God's purposes. See, Jesus said these are the kinds of questions that we should be asking, these treasure questions. In 1635, a guy named Robert Kane was a member of the First Congregational Church in Boston, Massachusetts. And what seems really crazy is that back in 1639, his church, or in 1635 rather, his church in Boston punished him for being greedy. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Now, how did they do that? Well, it was because that year he was selling his product at a 6% profit. And a few years before, the people of the church had gotten together and they had decided that they were going to come up with a number that you were only allowed to sell your stuff at a 4% profit. And so when they found out that he was selling at a 6% profit, they disciplined him for the sin of greed. Okay, now, where does the Bible say that you can only make 4% profit? It doesn't. It does not. But the church had gotten together and said, I think we have a problem because we know that if somebody is committing adultery, well, you know it. If somebody is lying, they know it. If somebody has committed murder, they know it. But what about the sin of greed? How do you know where the line is between need and greed? And so the church came together as a community and they decided to set a number, 4%, any more than that, and you are greedy. 
Now, please don't misunderstand. I am not suggesting that we set a number, okay? But, but here's what I find interesting. Apparently, back in the 1600s, the church was so concerned about this issue that they agreed to hold each other accountable. That we're going to be kind and generous to the poor, and, and we're going to set some standards to make sure that we are different from people out in the world. Now, last week, I heard someone who was talking to someone else here in town, and they found out that they're a part of the Wesleyan Church here in Moncton, and they said, oh, I've heard bad things about that church. I've heard that they check your financial records. Like, you have to submit your pay stubs and your financial records in order to be able to go to that church. Is that true? We're, we're starting tomorrow. No, 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 we're not. It's not. We, that is not true. But the reason that it's so hard is we're so afraid of what people think about money in the church that we're afraid to talk about what the Bible teaches about money in the church. And therefore, people, because we're afraid of dealing with the hard issues, the issues that will actually bring freedom in people's lives, and then people continue in bondage because they just don't know. And so I'm simply asking this, is it possible that maybe we don't talk about this stuff enough in the church because of fear, because it makes us uncomfortable? Now, here's something else about money. Number three, it gives us a false sense of security. See, here's what's interesting. Sometimes we want money to make us feel important, true. But other times, we just want money to make us feel safe. Because we live in a crazy, out-of-control world, don't we? And sometimes we think, if I could just have a, enough money, maybe then I wouldn't have to worry so much. Maybe then I could feel secure. But that is a false sense of security. And here's the danger. Whenever I find my security in money, I am no longer finding my security in God. See, Jesus says you have to make a choice. Verse 24, as he's teaching, after he finished talking about how it blinds us, he says you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says we have to make a choice. Who is it going to be? Who are we going to trust? Now listen, Jesus did not say that we should just go out and be foolish and just, you know, therefore don't, you know, don't, don't invest and don't work hard and don't save and, and don't uh, earn money. And that's not the truth at all. The Bible says, teaches us about all of those things. And the Bible also teaches us about giving away 10% of our income, that everything that God has given to us, the first 10% goes to God. And all that stuff is laid out in Scripture. But here's, here's, I think, the greater question. And it comes back to the treasure question, the treasure test. In whom or in what are we placing our trust? Do we really trust God enough to step out in faith? See, would I be just as happy and joyful if I didn't have all this stuff? What if I didn't have a nice home to live in? What if, what if God asked me to sell it all and give my money to the poor? What if I had to drive a junky old car? What if I could not afford nice clothes? What if I had to live with nothing? Would I still be the same person? Would that change my identity? Could I still be happy and content in the Lord? So today, we've talked about the problem, 
Would you like to hear the solution? Come back next week, because we don't have enough time today. Okay? We're going to do a little, little cliffhanger. We're going to look at some of the positive things that Scripture says about the treasure question. First, we have to identify some of the problems in our heart, though. Next week, we're going to come back and look at some of the practical steps we can take to break the power that money has over us. And I promise, again, just like today, it's not going to be heavy-handed. We're just going to take an honest look at what God's Word says. There was a survey published in the January 2010 issue of USA Today, and they revealed the results of a, a study that was done among college first-year students, freshmen in the United States. And they asked them questions about life and money. And I want you to listen to the results. 78.1% want to be well off financially. Now, that's not a surprise. That makes sense. Pretty much all of us would probably say, yeah, it would be nice to be well off financially. So 78% compared, here's where it gets interesting, to back in 1969, that same question, the number was 42.2%. That the number has almost doubled since 1969 of those who think that the priority is to become well off financially. Now, listen to this. Here's where it gets even more interesting. 48% say that they want to develop a meaningful philosophy of life. Less than half believe it is important to develop a meaningful philosophy of life compared to, in 1969, 85%. Do you see how the numbers have gone? The focus on money and the focus on the meaning of life. Almost 80% feel that money and being financially secure is the priority of life and only 48% actually want to find the meaning of life. That, that instead of finding the meaning of life, that money and stuff and financial security actually has become the meaning of life in North American society. But Jesus says that is a lie, that that is a deception that the enemy uses to keep us in bondage. Don't believe it, because folks, there is a treasure that is far greater than money. There is a peace that is far greater than anything this world can give you. And it's not a what, it's a who. His name is Jesus. Amen? Would you stand? And so I simply want to ask you this week to evaluate based on these questions. Just to ask yourself, is it possible that my treasure is being invested in some wrong things right now? The treasure question. And number two, is it possible that I'm blind to some areas of greed in my life right now? And number three, is it possible that I'm trying to find my security in my finances rather than in my faith in God? But maybe you're here today and you say, well, ultimately, I've never even made that decision, though, to put God first. 
I've never put Jesus at the center of my life. And the Bible says it's simple. The way that we do that is simply by confessing that we have sinned, that we've put ourselves first rather than God. Confess that. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the price for our sins, to pay the price, to take our punishment so that we can be forgiven. Receive his forgiveness and make the commitment to follow him, to put him at the center of your life in everything you do. See, that's the beginning of freedom. That's where it starts. And right now in your heart, if you'd like to make that decision, if everybody would just bow our heads and close our eyes, and I just want to invite you to pray this. Just say, Father, I confess that I've done wrong. I confess that I've put myself at the center. I confess that, that I've pursued all the things of this world, but none of them have satisfied and so today I come to you. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. I receive his forgiveness. Come in and take control of my life so that I can serve you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.